You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 50. Today, our special guest is Simon Feeney. We are discussing Chinese herbal classics and dosage. Hi, everybody. I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fiona Gitchum. And today, we're talking with Simon Feeney. Hi, Simon. Hey there, ladies. How are we? We're very well, thank Thank you. We're talking with Simon about his journey of discoveries around classical dosage in Chinese herbal medicine. Simon has studied traditional medicine under a Buddhist monk for the past 20 years. This inspired his formal studies in Melbourne at the Southern School of Natural Therapies, where he completed his Bachelor degree of Chinese herbal medicine and traditional Chinese acupuncture. He has continued his studies in the classical Chinese medicine works of the Han Dynasty with the guidance of Dr. Arno Versluis, Director of ICEAM. For the last 20 years, he's been working closely with his teacher to understand ancient scriptures from Myanmar. These writings largely pertain to medical knowledge. He's travelled extensively through Thailand and Myanmar, documenting these texts and assisting in the preservation of this ancient knowledge. Simon is the director of the registered non-profit organisation Saffron Herbal, but works with refugees and displaced persons on the Thai-Myanmar border. Simon is also the director of Empirical Health, which manufactures and distributes handmade classical herbal formulas in their original intended format. Empirical Health is also the sole importer and distributor of Springwind Herbs into Australia. Simon's clinic is in Port Macquarie in New South Wales, Australia. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes on our website. We really hope you enjoy today's episode and we'd love it if you would drop over to iTunes and give us a rating. So welcome to the show again, Simon. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for what you guys are doing. It's um, I love listening to to you guys. I always get on an aeroplane and listen to you or use the opportunity traveling somewhere and pop on a Heavenly Chi podcast. So it's been, yeah, very informative. <laughs> we didn't know. <laughs> that's yeah, great. That's great feedback. That's- Yeah, that's great to know. And for our listeners, this is our third episode with Simon. So uh, if you love this one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to the first two. And they are very interesting with Simon. And in in those, when we were recording those, I still have questions left over from that conversation. So this is where we're going to pick up today in this episode. Simon, you were telling us how you were a temple boy and how you've had a relationship with a Buddhist monk in Myanmar. Um, and how that has also led you to having access to some classical manuscripts and discovering and doing some investigations around classical dosage. So we would love to hear, uh, maybe we'll just start with how you ended up in this relationship and having access to this kind of journey. Yeah, sure. I guess uh, I originally wanted to meet a monk um, because I didn't have the concept in my worldview that someone could, you know, give up uh, being with a being with a woman you know that was very unusual for a 19 year old boy um, so I really wanted to meet one and I went searching all over and I was up at Cairns at the time and I was um, I used to be a professional snowboarder so I, I gave everything up and left all that life behind me and took you know just basically gave all my money away and everything and 
had nothing on, no shoes, no nothing, just a, a, some hemp clothing and that was it, and a bottle of water. And I went searching for him. And after a long search, I finally found him. Um, and he actually ended up being in my hometown where I grew up, which is in Canberra. And it was this rundown little temple. Um, and uh, I went knocking around the doors and I kind of had a, it was kind of a bit uh, bizarre, but I had this dream that I was gonna meet him in this particular time, this particular place, and it ended up coming true. Um, and I yeah went through the door and I, I and I didn't know anything about what what he was you know what, what Buddhism was or anything like that. I was just looking for a monk. I was actually inspired by some friends of Assisi, who's a you know Franciscan monk um, or a Christian monk. Um, and then the the there was a guy that said, oh yeah, there's a there's a monk over there, but he's a Buddhist. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to meet this guy um, and just ask him about his perspective on the world. So yeah, he opened the door and, and yes, 21 years ago or so. And yeah, we've been friends ever since. Um, well, he's been my teacher and we've been friends and I've traveled all over the world with him or all over Southeast Asia mainly with him. And he's, he's something else. I mean, he's one of the, he's, he's one of only five people in the world who can read the ancient um, manuscripts that pertain to Mon, the Mon language. So Mon's an ethnic minority from Burma uh, or Myanmar that used to um, inhabit that whole region. Um, and they were the people that brought Theravada Buddhist to, Buddhism to, uh, to Myanmar. And hanging out with him, I was a temple boy and just basically, you know, made him tea and talked philosophy every day. And then he invited me to go over to, to, uh, to Thailand because Burma was um, under military regime at that time. And we went there and lived, went to the Thai Burma border, did some work there, uh, went around different monasteries through Thailand. Uh, they're all Mon temples and we lived there for a while and um, he would unearth these old manuscripts um, because no one else could read them and he sort of wrote this massive book about the structure of the language like the linguistics of you know how to interpret the old language into the modern language and all this stuff and yeah he's he's incredibly humble um, there's there's people in in Thailand that found out he came to this university in Bangkok a couple of years ago and um, people write PhDs about sort of one line in this text. You know, they talk about it and they write PhDs about this one line. And my teacher rocked up and said, oh, you can I have that scripture? And then, you know, do you have these scriptures? And then he started just reading it, <laughs> just like just reading and explaining it all. And then they called and the next day. They said, well, would you mind coming back the next day? He came back the next day and they had news cameras from the, you know, and, and all these academics from the universities from all over Thailand had flown in because I heard this guy, you know, all these PhD people came in and then he was like, oh no, I can't, can't really read it that well. And then he left. So he didn't read it um, because he just, thought, and I asked him, Bunty, why didn't you, why didn't you do, why, why didn't you tell them? And he's like, oh, that's not, it's not, you know, the monk can't, you know, show off in a sense. So he's from the very old tradition of like, you know, so, so his specialty is, is kind of in monastic order. So how a monk conducts himself within the sangha, within the monastic community, also in, in society at large. And that's, you know, that's what he focuses his translation on, but also on, um, that's what he looks for in these old scriptures. And some of them, I asked him one time, like, how old's the oldest one? And he said, oh, 1152. And I said, oh, you mean it was written in 1152? And he's like, no, 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 Simon, it's 1,152 years old. Uh, oh, right. Um, and these are often reproductions of older texts. Um, so just recently we found one that was 800 years. And um, yeah, it's like literally that piece of paper is 100 years old. And um, yeah, we were up at, in Mon State on this island. It's just off the coast of uh, Molomian, which is the capital of Mon State in Burma. And 
we yeah we were in a temple that the text hadn't seen a light of day for 200 years and i just thought wow that's older than australia or you know as old as australia and these you know yeah so yeah it's been a wonderful journey with him he focused a lot of his work on the medicinal manuscripts and that's kind of where the chinese medicine ties into this whole thing because he um, found a lot of these medical manuscripts and i would ask him well, what what's in them and he'd say oh you know this one this formula's for leprosy and this formula's for syphilis and this formula's for malaria and blah 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 and just kind of you know just really nonchalant and i said can you still get these herbs oh yeah you know this is that herb and that's that herb and you know he says do it like this and do it like that and he started making uh, a lot of medicine where he started getting asked from the community people individuals that were interested in um, and that kind of is how it sort of evolves you know people would come up and just ask him you know questions and they start this discussion then he finds what's interesting what the community is interested in and that's how the monastery survives in any society or in any village or any culture they work with the community um, with the needs of the community and that's how the monastic community that's how the monastic order changes you know like the, the precepts that a monk changes you can see you can actually track how history moves because of the movement of those precepts because the new precepts will dictate changes in environment or in social structure or political. Um, yes, it's very, very interesting to, anal to analyze that um, because you can talk about, you know, you can see the expansion and contraction of empires and of social groups and language groups. And that's what he, um, that's why he, he loves linguistics. So when he got to the medical texts, yeah, he started making these medicine medicines for people. Um, and I just watched, uh, made a lot of these honey pills and he used to make this huge, or still does, he makes these big, massive bowls of powder. And he's always saying to me that he makes more than me, more powder than me. And, oh, you know, I make 100 kilos. How much do you make? And it's not, um, but he, you know, he gives it all away for free to the community. The, the, the herbs get donated to him from, you know, he collects them from, from around different places. And then he, he then the community helped to work together to make the formulas. And then it gets distributed back through the community. So it's a very, very, um, beautiful process to watch and yeah so i observed that for a long time and then when i wanted to support him um and so i started getting into a me and my wife built a non-for-profit organization and we wanted to fundraise for the preservation of these knowledge and um, no one would really take me seriously because i had no credentials and i was expressing this to my teacher and he said well you need some pieces of paper simon like you've been with me 10 or 15 years 10 times 10 years at the time he said i can't give you a piece of paper um, but if you want to get a piece of paper, you want to get approved by the by society, then you need some certificate. Um, so that was, a, uh, he just said that to me. And then I thought, well, I could study some herbal medicine somewhere. And then I was in Melbourne, was moving to Melbourne. And I thought I might, um, study this whole Chinese medicine thing. Cause it's Asian and it's medicine and it's herbs. And <laughs> so that's how I studied. So I just signed up. And um, yeah, that's how I started Chinese medicine. And then I did my undergrad and yeah, here we are today. So. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah. That's a great story. And I love the way that you kind of started as a, as a snowboarder and now you've got, mm. kind of come full circle into being a Shanghanmun herbalist. I love the... Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know how that works, but... All of those years of exposure to the cold. <laughs> yeah, we used to live in tents in the in the snowy mountains in Australia and lived in Canada and yeah, the putting on those frozen boots is a good very, very fond memory. 
You know, I can relate because um, one of the things that I had to do with my Chinese medicine knowledge was recover from being a figure skater. I was an ice figure skater mm. for many years. <laughs> and so I had all this cold and I started just around puberty and I had all this cold in my womb from all the jumps and things I was trying to learn how to do and falling on the ice all the time. Wow. So yeah, you know, yeah, go from the snow sports into the cold induced disease theory and yeah. it's kind of a perfect progression really. Yeah, definitely. It's a good way to learn. It's a good, good way to learn from your own experiences or your own mistakes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can like, I'm sure there's practitioners out there that are just like cringing at the thought of putting like frozen snow boots on your feet and all of that cold is going straight into all of the all those um you know channels around the feet and the ankles and yeah, <laughs> yeah and all of the yeah. cold well, we, from we, ice skating and falling over i'm like oh i just feel cold thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> well there's lots of um lots of use of guajia and futsa nowadays so that's always good <laughs> yes but that's a really interesting journey that you've had with this monk your friend and so there's been a lot of medical texts that are ancient that you've been able to look at that aren't also aren't coming from China. So, you know, there must be a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm always looking for that, that, that one text that says, you know, um, you know, in Taiyang disease, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's what I want him to say when he translates it, you know, or, you know, <laughs> I want him to say, Oh, I, I, want to, I want to ask him, what's this for? And then I want him to say, well, it says uh, cinnamon and then it says ginger uh, and then it says peony. You know, that's what I want him to say, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, the, the herbs are always quite, um, they mainly come from the, the uh, Ayurvedic um, traditions. So it's often, you know, I, I think I spent, I spent a good 10 years with him before he even told me what one herb was or what the use of one herb was. So I'd seen the herbs, you know, I knew he was using them, but I didn't know what they were used for. And I didn't know his theory behind why he was using them. So one day we were sitting at lunch and, um, you know, we we're just sitting there and he said, uh, turmeric. And I just, my eyes just lit up. <laughs> and, <it's> like, <laughs> and then he just gave me this little discourse on turmeric. And yeah, never going to forget that lesson. You know, it was, it's only after so many, so many years of, of it's just how it's just how it was for him that's how you get that traditional knowledge and that traditional discourse uh, you know i you know i know my teacher uh, my shanan lun teacher i know i know he went through very similar processes and you know sat with his teacher for you know, days after days after days after days with little very little communication very little you know kind of had to work it all himself out himself it's a very very good way to learn um and i think uh, you know good teachers like they say, you know, good teachers only show you the door, that sort of thing, that sort of idea. Yeah, I agree. I have had the fortune of studying with a couple of shamans and a couple of tulkus. And, you know, it's not usually a linear process. And it's almost like there's a certain amount of time that goes on or into the relationship and then information starts to be released. You know, it's also a kind of a function of the state of consciousness that some of these really awake beings are in. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, if people that are listening uh, don't have that in their life or anything like that, you know, it's just about the search. It's about going in and find, trying to find that person because they're definitely there. 
Um, I think to assume that you, you can do this on your, by yourself or alone is very limiting. As, as arrogant as um, you can get, uh, in, you know, and think you know uh, when you come out of school or something like that, that you can do certain, you know, that you can prescribe certain formulas. It's so worth just spending that time with someone who really knows what they're doing and learning regardless of cost or time. Um, you know, a lot of people, oh, it's too expensive or it's, you know, it's, that's kind of the first thing. But, you know, you can spend the rest of your life or the rest of your career just pretty much wasting your time or just guessing. I find it's much more effective. I, I definitely encourage it. People can access that if they've got the opportunities. And we do more and more and because there are some fantastic teachers out there. So I, I think it's very, very important. And what I really love, Simon, about your journey is the fact that even now, you know, you've been graduated from Chinese medicine school for, you know, quite a long time now. And, um, you know, even though you've now, you know, you've married, you've got children, you've got family commitments, you've got a clinic, you run a business, like you've still prioritised being able to take some time out to go and, you know, spend time with your teacher and go overseas. You know, I was so interested to see updates on Facebook from you a couple of months ago with your most recent trip to Myanmar and... Yeah, I think that that's fantastic. I think, you know, you're exactly right. You really just need to decide that it's something that you want to do. You want to continue that knowledge development and deepening your connection with the medicine. You just have to make that decision. Yeah, definitely. I wish I had more time to do it, to be honest. I think one of the biggest regrets I'm going to have um, when my teacher passes away is that I didn't spend more time with him, you know, and I there's just... I would love to, but this is the path I've chosen. You know, I've chosen to, um, I've chosen to, to, you know, uh, have a family. That was my decision, you know, and, and, um, you know, I fell in love with my wife and I'm very happy with the situation, but I'm certainly, I'm certainly going to regret, you know, regret that I didn't spend more time with him, but, and I've, you know, like many, you know, I guess you can't really have that, but, um, you've got to be grateful for what you've got, but it's definitely, uh, yeah, something that plays on my mind. Yeah. So you can always learn more. I've definitely also heard, you know, people who were still studying or graduating kind of lamenting not having that mentor relationship, you know, so that's something I think that perhaps we could bring more of into the whole like Chinese medicine community, because that seems to have been replaced largely by official courses. And, you know, I really think they're great too. But I think that to keep those, those mentor relationships going as a tradition is also going to be really beneficial for everybody. Yeah, it's absolutely imperative, I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And so through this work, you've made some interesting discoveries around um, Chinese classical dosage. Yeah, um, I have. Where that you have a great story that I missed out on because I moved out of Australia and I wasn't at the conference where you told the story. So... <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to hear the story. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a strange one. So we started um, when I got into clinical practice. I wanted to make all the formulas from the um, the way that they were originally dispensed. You know, I just thought that. I remember asking my first herbal teacher, Pei Shan Wang. She was teaching at Southern School, and she. Um, you know, I was like, what's a wan? Why is this a wan? Why is this a san? Why is this a tongue? And she 
said, well, it's given as a powder or a pill or a decoction and boiled up. I'm like, why don't we learn anything about that? She's like, oh, nowadays we just do it all like that. And I just thought, well, that's funny. So I got her to write them all out. You know, what was the science? She's like, just read it. But yeah, anyway, she thought I was a bit nuts. Um, and so, yeah, when I got into clinic, it was, I wanted to make, um, I wanted to make a Marzarin one. I wanted to make many formulas, but one of the ones that kind of stand, stood out was, was Marzarin one. Um, so Marzarin one is the, the hemp seed pill. Um, and so I started looking into it and <clears throat> looked at the, you know, you look at the modern dosages and you go, okay, that's really interesting. But then I was reading from the classic, I was reading from, you know, wise magicians of, um, of the Shana Nun and Jingwei and, um, and, the yeah, so it said Homaren Tu Sheng, and I'm like, okay, what the hell is Tu Sheng? Um, and then it said Xiao Yao is half a gin, and I was like, I've never heard what what the hell Xiao Yao. I don't know what that is. I didn't know what it was, and how much is half a gin? What's a gin? So I don't even know what half a gin is. I don't even know what a gin is. Half a gin. Then it was Jushu. I thought, oh, yeah, okay, know that, um, and that's one gin. Okay, so that must be double as much as half a gin. Okay, so um, and the Dafang. Okay, I know Dafang. Um, and that's one gin, all right. So that's the same as the Jushu that I don't know what ways. Okay, that's okay. Not get, not really getting that far. And then Hopo, which is one chu. And I was like, what the hell is a chu? Um, and then again, Shingren, one sheng. Okay, that's this. That's half as much as the Hormaren, which I don't know what equals. Um, okay. So and then I get some honey. Okay, I know what honey is, and I know it's going to form into pills. So this is. I really don't know and don't want to do Chinese medicine anymore. Like this is just ridiculous. This um, is like advanced algebra. Yeah, this is all. I mean, <laughs> so what, what's going on here? So you have to calculate uh, the dosages with the minimal information that you do have. You don't even know. I mean, didn't didn't even know some of the one of the herbs. Didn't even know. Um, you know, we had lots of problems because we like homaren is you know, hemp seed, and in Australia you can't use. Well, probably all over the world, was probably in America as well. You can't use. Um, hemp uh, hemp seed because they think it's got thc blah 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 so there's all these other issues so i just went back to the books went back to the textbook and found out what the academics were saying because what the clinicians are saying is one thing but i just wanted to know that's fine i can appreciate what you're saying i just want to go back and look at what what we're saying so then <clears throat> i looked up some of the shannon Lund books like um greta's book and greta young's and and um uh, and Robin Marchman's and, and and the Mitchell and Wiseman edition, and they all saying the same thing. They said one liang equals. So I knew that I found out about this gin thing. It was like you know certain amount of liang, and I was just like, okay, what's going on here? So I'm going to come back to this liang measurement. So they said one liang equals fifteen point six two five grams. I was like, right. So how come the textbook says three grams when we're using one liang, or nine grams when we're using three liang? And that's really, really different. I mean, that's a very, very different amount of, that's five times different, you know, it's five times a dose. Um, but more importantly, like that's a very exact number, like 15.625 grams. Like that's not like, you know, it's just about 15 grams. It's 16.6 to 15.625. So what's going on here? Like, so how come, okay. So when we look at Guay Jitang, we just take the first, first formula. We're looking at Guay Jitang. So it says use three Liang. So, that's not nine grams. Like, I mean, why do you think it's nine grams? That's really, really bad mass because 15.625 doesn't equal nine, it equals 46.875. So um, 
yeah so then i noticed that that you know everyone was everyone was kind of using three if we go to this tongue thing and then i'll sort of talk about the margarine one so everyone was using three pieces of dart cell in their tongue. um oh yeah and, and i asked people like okay so why are you using nine grams and why are you using three pieces and everyone said well there's too much dart cell Zhang Chong jing used too much dart cell and so we only use three grant three pieces now he was using 12. um or people would say you know oh my teacher just you know told me to use three pieces so that's why i use three pieces and I'm saying, so I thought, well, so are you or your teacher saying that Zhang Junjing was wrong? That Zhang Junjing was like, was something wrong about him saying there was 12 pieces? Like, or, you know, were the plants in the village that Zhang Junjing lived, you know, where's the, where's the justification for this argument? Um, and, you know, I just didn't, I, you know, I was just, it's just in awe when I was reading the Shan Han Lun and it's like, this guy's not wrong, you know, Zhang Jing is the man, like you can't, you know. Um, and then look at all these other issues like, okay, so Guijitang is like QP, you know, what's removed bark and um, yeah, and then I just went down this whole another rabbit hole and then shout this whole Xiaoyao thing, is it Chu Xiao, Bai Xiao? Um, and, and I just kept asking all, all these all these little questions. Um, and then, it led me down this academic path, like trying to work out why someone said this sort of 15.65 grams. And I found, finally found this text, um, and I can give you the reference to the book as well. Um, it, was, it was an old weights and measurement book um, on, on the Han Dynasty. And it was talking about this, uh, this Hung, uh, Hung Jong, I'm not sure if my pronunciation is very good, but basically it's like a, it's an old bell. Um, and the story goes that the the um, this is a bit absurd, a bit, a bit obscure, obscure, but I'll, I'll say this how it goes. So there was this pitch pipe, right? Like a pipe, a, a pipe that was used to get the the proper the primary note for this old um, uh, these these the diodactonic twelve note scale of this um, to get this kind of scale for these these religious bells. So it had to produce this particular note, um, and it had to be cut exactly nine sun in length. So the length it was then measured um, using um, grains of black broom corn millet, um, each of which re represents um, one fen or a tenth of a sun. And then when you get 90 of these grains and you lay them side by side, they were required, um, um, so, this, so they were required to measure that distance. So um, then you cut it and then the, the volume inside that um, was calculated um, by filling the pipe with grains and you needed uh, 1,200 grains to fit into that, um, that pipe. Um, then these were weighed, these grains were weighed to calculate uh, the basic weight, which, is, which was 12 dew. So one pitch pipe can hold 1,200 um, millet grains of the black broom kiln millet, and they weigh 12 dew. And so if you double that, because 24 dew is one liang, right? So I got insanely focused on, I wanted to reproduce this. I didn't want to take this as, as, um, as fact. I wanted to kind of reproduce this. So I started studying black broom corn millet. Um, so then, um, you know, it turns out um, 
that it's uh, these, these particular species and I went and got some and then laid them side by side and measured them all and then counted um, 2,400 out one by one with a little toothpick and got to the point where it was like, okay, what is this weight? And it was like 15.61, you know, got this like, you know, mathematical calculator thing, uh, scale thing. And yeah, it turns out it's, it's spot on, which I just thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and that originally, you know, um, Hamish, uh, my colleague Hamish Brown found that, that thing about the hung, hung bell. And so together we just sort of started discussing it and we just got really excited. We were like, you know, this and that, and um, you know, wow, this is going to, this is going to change the way we dose. And we, we trialed it in clinic. And um, <clears throat> so then it kind of came back to this, um, you know, making, coming back to the practical application of making these formulas. So the practical application of um, making something like Marsrin one, which was, which was the original intention. So, there's nothing, no, there's no dispute um, with the Sheng measurement. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of dispute with the Liang measurement. Like it's, it's, there's varies, it varies between, you know, saying it equals three grams or 1.5 grams all the way up to sort of 50 grams. There's a 30 gram theory. And, um, but I just thought, well, you know, why did these academics realize this? And this turns out to be why, why they, why they argue this. Um, but then you've got all these other measurement issues that come into it. You know, you've got this Sheng measurement um, and this Chu measurement, and then you've got Ju measurements and Fen measurements, um, and you know, there's all these other there's all these other variations. So, you know, if you start to look at all these old texts, that's what they're talking about. So I, I just basically got all those doses and then translated them into the modern um, gram weight based on this research. Um, and then I was able to reproduce these pills. Um, and in doing so, found out uh, some interesting things. Probably one of the most interesting thing was about administration time. So, you know, in a lot of the Shanhan, everyone asks the question when they first start, start studying formulas, you know, how long did Zhang Jing intend, um, you know, Guizhitang to be taken? You know, he's supposed to just take one dose or two doses. And there's some information in the text for various formulas. Um, but when it comes to pills and powders, no one really knows. And, and the question I started asking myself was like, okay, well, why, why doesn't Zhang Junjing just say, you know, for practical, for a practical application of a, of a powder or a pill, why doesn't he just say one part of this, two part this, one part this, two part this? You know, why does he say one Liang this, two Sheng that, um, you know, five pieces this, you know, one Chu that? Like, that's really weird. Um, you know, if he was just going to give you the recipe and then you can sort of decide how long you're supposed to take it for, it's kind of depending on the patient's condition. But I thought, ah, there's more information, you know, there's always more information hidden in those texts, you know, that, so then I started doing the calculation, like, okay, well, what are these formulas, what do they treat? Because I wanted to corroborate this evidence. You know, I wouldn't just want to say, oh yeah, it's 15, I wouldn't want to go out and say, look, it's 15.625, you know, give 125 grams in your, in your Xiao Chaihu tongue and you'll, everything will be fine. Um, when everyone's told, you know, 12 grams is crazy, you know, you, you'll dry the liver or you'll do something with 12 grams. And that's a whole different issue because people are using the wrong chai hu. They're using um, the different, um, there's northern and southern chai hu. So they use probably often using the wrong chai hu. Um, but regardless of that, um, yeah, where was I? So, yeah, st started looking at, at, at that, that administration timeframe and started to discover some really interesting things. So, you know, looked at um, 
something like a good example is um, is Dungwei-san. So Dungwei-san is a formula to, to be used in pregnancy, primarily in the third trimester. And if you get the weights of all those herbs and you weigh them up according to the old um, weighing system, you get the total weight and then you can say, okay, what the divide it by the daily dose or you divide by the single, you know, the, the single dose and then divide it by the daily dose. And then you sort of say, well, this is the, this is, then you can calculate and say, well, this is the time frame of that formula. Does that make sense? So you get the total weight of what it equaled based on the old measurements. And then you divide it by the amount of days that by the daily dose that's prescribed in the text. So this is not anything that I'm making up. It's all direct from the text. And then you can say, well, it goes for this amount of time. So it turns out it goes for, you know, 93. I mean, there's slight, there's slight imperfections in the mass, but, you know, this is just the slight variations of herbs. and But it's very minor. I mean, it's nothing, um, nothing major. Um, it goes for 93.75 days or something like that, right? Um, if, you do the, if you do it based on the, today's grams, which is a, um, a trimester, um, which is just, wow, that's, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty cool. What else can we learn? And so then I just kind of applied that same theory to all the pills and all the powders um, and just went one by one. And then, yeah, just calculated the time frame for all those things. Um, another good example that kind of really sort of um, solidified it for me was, um, was a Shuyu one. <clears throat> so in the text, um, Shuyu one, uh, Zhang Zhongjing, you know, this is the words of Zhang Zhongjing. He, um, he sort of talks about how you're supposed to use it um, for the, the, the formula, uh, um, make, like it says a hundred pills, make one preparation of this formula. Right. And so this is really good information because you can say, okay, he's saying you make a hundred pills, like out of this preparation, um, a hundred pills make, uh, make one preparation of this formula. So then you start, to, then you start doing the calculations. So then you, so we total up the dose of the, um, of the formulas based on the old FEN measurement. So in this particular formula, uh, it's based on FEN. Now, a lot of people translate that as part, but it's not part. It's, it's part of, it's in some, in some instances, it is translated as part, but it actually means it's actually a measurement. Um, so it's 3.9 grams. So yeah, if you total up those doses, you get 995 grams exactly, like right on the money. And then uh, if you divide that into 100, it equals 9.5 grams per pill. And then if you roll it into uh, these, this particular, so basically what we did is we got the 995 grams of the formula. We divided it into one into 100 pills equally we weighed it all out so we said each pill has to be 9.5 grams we weighed them all out and then we measured the size of it and it is exactly the same size and it was i was looking at it, I was like oh that's that's a bit big you know it's quite it's like a big um i don't know you you i know you guys have seen how how big our legion one is it's about 23 millimeters across and so we, we thought that's too big because jungle ding says it's a, a slingshot pellet to so make the size of the slingshot pellet and I was talking to Hamish about this and we were thinking, well, what's, you know, this is way too big. You can't put this in. Maybe, you know, they had big slingshots. And then Hamish did a bit of research. He's like, you know what it is? It's those overhand slingshots that you kind of throw. So you hold like a big, you know, and that turned out to be 
the slingshots from yeah, the, the Han dynasty. So that's really, really cool. And then we found um, uh, an example of a, a slingshot pellet um, through like through the like you know the in the antiquities market, but we're yet to kind of actually go. We really want to go to China and look at look at it physically and measure it and do all that sort of stuff just because we're interested. But that that's pretty fascinating information. Um, and yeah, that that's you know that perfectly equates with 100 days. You know, 95 grams, uh, 9.5 grams. The whole total makes 950 grams. I mean, it's just way too much of a coincidence to overlook. And yeah, and it just kind of it, the same thing happens throughout a lot of these um, these formulas, um, and so that's so that's what we thought. Well, that's probably why um, you know Jungjing varied these doses. Why something was a fen, why something was half a jin, a jin, a sheng, a, a chur, a, a, a ju, um, and <clears throat> and now we worked in we worked out what um, what each uh, what each powder and pill the administration time, and it's very interesting because when you apply that in clinic. Um, uh, you, you see that, you know, you see the pulse change at that time, you know, according, in accordance with that. You can also give people prognosis because, um, you know, you can say, look, you need to take this formula for six months or, you know, look, you need to take this, you know, Dahong Zerchong one um, needs to be taken um, for, you know, nearly like a year and a half. So, you know, you can say to your patient, look, you know, you need to be on, on this for one and a half years. <laughs> you know, because people ask that question a lot to us. How long do I need? How long does it make it effective? This is really, really good. Um, I find, you know, Wumei one a really good, good example. I, I use a, I use a lot of Wumei one. I find it very effective. And when we give, when we administer Wumei one, um, it's kind of an average depending on, um, depending on the dose that you do. But the average is around about five months, five to six months. So that's what I say to my patients. You know, you've got to be on this formula for five to six months, and they're on, on it for that time. And they're very happy to stay on it, you know, that they, 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 you know, because they come to our medicine with this kind of expectation of miracle cure. And then you say, you know, you give them a realistic time frame. And then we've kind of tried it <clears throat> in other relationships, you know, in other um, uh, administration techniques, you know, it, you know, using it as a, as a granule versus using it as a, a powder or using it as a decoction. <clears throat> and when you look at the, the pills, you know, the way that they dissolve, the way that they, um, the, the honey acts as a, as a preservative and acts as a slow release. So it releases typically in the small intestine rather than the large intestine in the, sim in the similar way that um, different coatings of biomedical uh, medicine activates in the stomach or the large intestine, depending on the, the coating, whether it's, you know, pig, pig skin or, sorry, pig intestine or, or, you know, veggie caps versus animal caps. So that's kind of it in a very big nutshell. What a great meandering. I've only got 400 questions, but... <laughs> I still got um, lots too. Yeah. What pitch was the pipe? Yeah, you know we don't need to go into all of that, but that's really, that's really amazing, and that you also have this uh, greater confidence around the administration duration, the time for how long, because you know I think it's really common. Sometimes we give someone a formula only for two weeks or three weeks, and then the symptoms change and the landscape changes a little bit but you know some of it doesn't change and then frequently what we do in response to that is to change the herbs so right i think it's really interesting how do you how do you manage it when you know someone's halfway through a six-month course and you know their symptoms are really happening or maybe but, they don't <laughs> well i guess for me because i trade under um under the sluice like it comes down to the pulse so 
yeah if but as well so, you know often that that correlates really really perfectly with the administration time I found so <clears throat> you know there's a particular pulse in the Tian um, um, lineage which you know you use for some of these formulas um, and you've I've found uh, in clinic that that it it dissolves at the same time um, I found if you're too quick to rush off even if people's symptoms reduce, but the pulse is still there, you just continue with the formula. You know, and and if you've given that prognosis at the big, if you've given that um, that that advice at the start, they're happy to stay with you uh, until you know. Because if they're, let's say they get halfway through, let's say they get three months, you still feel they've got halfway through to go with the pulse, but you can't convince them because they're symptomatic, they're symptom free. Then you need to remind them. I told you. It was going to take six months. I can still fill this in. This is my diagnostic parameters. You know, they're based on this pulse diagnosis. This is the this is the treatment time. And then they're much more um, much more willing to um, to 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 listen to your advice. <clears throat> like I said, even if they are symptomatic through. But I have found that you know it depends on the severity of the patient. It does. It can extend past that. Um, uh, and and if it extends past that and the pulse is still there, you kind of use that as the guiding guideline. Um, does that make sense? Like even if you pass the six months, let's say with Wilmay one, five or six months, and the pulse is still there up until nine months, just keep going until that, that's gone. But certainly don't, I never cut it short. Um, even if the pulse is, as I found a couple of times, even if the pulse is gone down, decreased, changed, um, and I've stopped the formula prior to the, to the treatment time, the pulse often comes back. Which is mm. so you can just let them know. Look, if you stop, you, you think you're feeling better now, but if you stop now, you'll I'll see you again in a couple of months. Yeah, and in the same way as you know, people taking antibiotics, going away, and then coming back with a vengeance. I've seen the same thing happen in clinic. Yeah, with that kind mm. of thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's just you know, that's just some of the formulas that are examples, and it just applies to every single formula from my perspective. Um, and, and I think. A lot of people um, have asked, you know, and I've discussed this with 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 a lot of colleagues, um, you know, why, you know, how come how come three grams works? And like it does, you know, like it doesn't not, um, you know. There's a lot of a lot of historical evidence of that, and I'm I'm not about to undermine all those amazing um, clinicians who have who have done that, um, have used it at that at that that gram dose. Absolutely not. I'm just trying to provide. Um, uh, you know some some information that that I think is can 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 benefit the um, the community. Um, <clears throat> so well, um, and but, if three but, grams works, then maybe fifteen point six two five grams works better. I mean, it, works it may even work five times better. You never know. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a formula in, in, that you were saying, Simon, that. Um, just talking about the way that you know dosage and, and all that kind of stuff plays in, but you know that sometimes by using using the fifteen gram Liang conversion rather than the three gram, you know where you end up with huge formulas, and you may only need to take it like for two days instead of for a week or two weeks, so it can shorten the time frame as well. That's exactly right. I've definitely found that. And what I tend to do is adopt, you know, kind of use, 
you know, these variations in the dose, but to keep the ratio is really, really important. So <clears throat> often in some of the textbooks, you know, actually in a vast majority of the textbooks, the translation's incorrect, you, as, a, as in the interpretation of the ratio is incorrect. So the, the Sheng measurement's always off, pretty much always. Like even, you know, granule companies and big companies that have, that have manufactured these formulas, their grams, their Sheng measurements are completely wrong. So, um, and, and people often complain of the symptoms associated with those mistakes, which is just hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious, but it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, in, it's enlightening. Um, you know, one example is Wenjing Tung. Um, so often, you know, companies make Wenjing Tung and their dose of Bancha is the same dose as their, um, their Mai Mendong. But in the, in the text, it's double the dose of Mai Mendong versus Bancha. So however you do the ratios, you should still come to the conclusion that it should be double the amount, but because they're both measured in Sheng versus a gram dose in the same formula, the ratio is off. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing a, a book and an app to that, that kind of gives a breakdown of all these things. Um, the app's out soon um, and the book is just coming. Um, but what we're, what we're going to try to do <clears throat> is give practitioners the option to kind of change that depending on the patient. So formulas that treat that are kind of there as a as an end game you know what i mean like acute formulas uh, you know mostly shanhan formulas we we tend to give re at the really 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 high doses one bag you know two bags at the most and it's kind of gone away um and uh if you don't believe me and i think i was saying to this to claire um at, at that um that lecture i was giving if you don't believe me i would highly recommend um taking guaja tongue um, where Guaja is at 45 and actually use raw Guaja, don't use Guaja because Guaja um, isn't the right Guaja. So you need like the, uh, anyway, I've probably gone into this a fair bit in other things, but the Guaja is Guaja QP, which means to remove the, remove the peel. So when you remove the peel, um, you want the inner, inner, you want the mid layer of the bark. So the closest represent, the closest we've got to this uh, in Australia, we, we, buy that and we sell that but in uh, in overseas for people who are listening overseas if you can get the quills that's the best but you've got to get the cassia quills um, if you can't get the quills then get um, get pure rogway um, and then you know try it at 45 grams try 45 grams of bai shao try 45 and now shao yao in uh, in guai jitong this you know there's other conjecture about Xiao Yao was actually Chu Xiao, which I believe it was. Um, but when Xiao Yao, when Xiao Yao is cooked, it turns into Bai Xiao. So, um, because that's how you prepare Bai Xiao from Chu Xiao, from Peony Lacifora. So, you know, and that's why it takes on that sour um, uh, flavor, which is in the tongue yijing, which comes from the tongue yijing, that the concept of the Xiao Yao being sour. Um, so, you can, you can add this kind of high dose of you know, 45 grams of Bai Xiao, 45 grams of Xinjiang. 30 grams of jogan sour and 12 pieces of dark sour. Um, and I guarantee you, you uh, and then you do the whole thing, you know, wrap up with gruel. You know, it really upsets me when, um, when I hear people say, you know, guaja tongue doesn't work. Like, well, I'm thinking, well, you know, you're not using the right guaja. The, 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 um, the dark, you know, using three pieces of dark sour, you're not having it with the gruel, you know, you're not wrapping up after your sweat. So I called that lecture, um, uh, which was supposed to be controversial, but also a little bit um, thought-provoking. I called it. Um, I put more guaja. I put more guaja and shengjiang in my porridge than you do in your guaja tongue. <laughs> I thought that was a bit um, <laughs> cheeky, um, but 
but you know, it really illustrated the, the fact that because one day I was like making my porridge in the morning and I was adding some cinnamon and some some um, uh, and some ginger, and I thought, oh my god, I'm probably putting like nine grams in here, and this is my breakfast. You know, like how are we supposed to be getting a therapeutic result um, when this is what I'm having for breakfast? So um, yeah, I thought that was a very um, arrogant title that might <laughs> cause some stir some stir some ruffle some feathers. <laughs> Well, and I really love the, the, the way that this whole like Liang thing, well, I shouldn't call it a Liang thing, but, um, you know, it just changes so many things. Like it, all of a sudden you go, well, I'm going to give this patient Chia Chai Chai. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, have I even got enough Chai Hu in the dispensary <laughs> to make up, you know, like you end up with really high doses of some of these herbs. Can you tell us about your experience with that, with some of the other formulas? Oh, and for our listeners who haven't already heard the um, the previous episodes, we've got episodes 13 and 14 where we discussed um, a whole range of things with Simon um, and we did go into some of the intricacies around um, which chai who is the chai who that you probably want to be using because there's different types and they have different effects. So go back to those episodes and have a listen. Yeah, there's one episode 14 called Raw Herbs False Friends and we do we also do the differentiation of the guaiture and the types of guaiture you're looking for and the QP, uh, what all that means. So that would be a good episode to listen to in conjunction with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when it comes to uh, yeah applying these big formulas in clinic, you know, I was very scared the first time I, I did... Um, this, you know, this Shao Chai Jung, because one of the arguments um, that that a lot of people um, come up with when you come up with this idea, uh, you know, 15 grams, you know, one liang is 15.65 grams. One of the first things that, that people tend to say is, oh, what about Shao Chai Jung? Are you telling me that we use 125 grams? Um, and yeah, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, and I've tried it in clinic many, many times. Um, and it's not, I'm not trying to be, you know, arrogant and say, oh, look, look how much chai who I used. I'm not like a fire school, you know, like, oh, look, I'm not, don't mean to, you know, I'm a little, anyways, but, but you know what I mean? Like I the Terence kind of, McKenna heroic dose of chai who. <laughs> so, yeah, see, see what happens after. journey with chai who. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah, the, yeah, but when you, when you, you, when you do apply this kind of high dosing clinic, it's not to be heroic. It's based on, you know, academia. You know, I'm basing it on on wow. You know, Marzarin was like this. Marzarin one was like this. Shenji one was like this. You know, all, all these. Things. Okay, now let's apply it to to um to you know to wage tongue. It's so exciting doing wage tongue for the first time, and um and it's just smashing it out of the you know just absolutely smashing it, and it's just wow. I don't even the first time I took it, I don't even. I didn't even need a second cup. I think maybe I had a second cup in the morning, um, um, just because of the resolution time. Tai Young is in, is is in the morning. So, but uh, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, the first time used um, Shao Chai Hu Tang at 125 grams of Chai Hu, it was really scary, you know. And you'd like, like you said, Clay, like pouring out all the Chai you got in your clinic. Um, and uh, I, this is probably a good time to mention that uh, that we sell Chai Hu. Um, yeah, we sell it by the gin. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of ironic that, um, you know, 
don't, don't get me wrong like i'm not trying to sell more herbs you know by making people do higher doses because we you know run a distribution company but um but you know this is like i said it's based on academia um and so when we use it yeah i used it for this guy um who had um he had this undiagnosed um viral condition that came from a you know some sort of mosquito and it was all you know shayong symptoms the alternating chills and fevers and he would go through these phases and it was just kind of unrelenting um, he lived in he was an anthropologist um, and he lived in jordan he was doing some work in jordan or something like that and he would go away a lot and come back and anyway he got it over there and uh he came back here and he could couldn't shake it and they gave him a bunch of this and a bunch of that um, and he would just take things every time he would have a flare-up um, and nothing could touch it and then it got more and more um uh, it was happening more and more you know he was completely fatigued he just couldn't even function anymore um and yeah i gave him you know one bag and it just completely got rid of everything he just came back in he had no body aches he had no no nothing no no you know no shouting no nothing just everything was just totally returned back to normal um but i learned a lot in that first procedure you know process he he was getting you know he got really really severe headaches and got this huge um uh, you know the the uh, all the symptoms of the the Hertzheimer effect um you know which is that huge amount of die off in your system um and yeah so so then you know we just kind of made sure we were quite uh, accounting for that the next time just making sure people were, you know well hydrated just kind of giving them all that advice um you know, in formulas like Chahu Gweji Ganjiang Tang Jung Jung Jing says, you know, that the, the condition, you know, sort of, you know, you feel unwell before you feel well, feel well again, um, which is exactly what happens when you do it at the high dose. And I found that at a low dose, something like Chahu Gweji Ganjiang Tang um, just keeps things at bay, you, you know, and you have to be on it quite a lot. And you either you come back and you pivot back into it and you get into this, um, this, uh, what's called you know, chronic Xiaoyang conditions where someone just kind of stays in this limbo. And I, I wonder if, you know, that, that correlates with, with some of the, you know, the modern terms like, um, what's it called? Um, lurking pathogenic factors and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, if, if you can't just, you know, smash it and just, you know, and again, medicine always comes back to, um, you know, therapeutic dose. That's what defines, um, uh, it's what differentiates food from herbs from biomedical medicine. It's dosage, right? So you know, it's concentration. Um, and as well, you know, <clears throat> when we started to compare, just to kind of further corroborate um, this, this research, we started to look at the, the Sheng measurements and how to cook a particular formula and what you do when you cook the particular formula. So, you know, each formula in the Shanghan Lun has different variations of the way it's cooked. Um, you know, you, you put certain herbs in first, you boil them down, you take those herbs out, you add the other herbs, then you boil those in the liquid of that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, a lot of Shaoyang formulas, um, we just call it the Shaoyang method. So, you, you know, you take, um, you know, uh, depending on the depending on the formula, but um, you know x amount of sheng, you boil it down to half. So you know one example is um, something like um, a xie xintang, like a gansiao xie xintang. So you use one dough of water, right? So a dough equals two liters. There's not much arguments between for that, um, and then you reduce it to six sheng, 
and six sheng is is six times 200 mils because each one sheng is 200 mils. So you start with two liters, <clears throat> you boil, um, you put the herbs in, you boil it down, you reduce it to 1200 mils and then you discard the dregs, you know, you remove the herbs and then you boil it again, the liquid down to 600 mils or to three sheng and then you take one sheng three times a day. And so that, that way of cooking also helps to harmonize the formula. Um, and I mean, that's a Shishin Tan, but that's, you know, there's a lot of Xiaoyang formulas that do the same thing. Xiaoyang um, Tan has the same, a very similar cooking structure, and Xiaoyang Tan has a similar structure. And a lot of those other formulas, you know, all the Ma Huang formulas, uh, the Ma Huang's cooked first, the Gergen formulas, the Gergen and the Ma Huang cooked first, or Gergen's cooked first. And, um, and you know, there's some, uh, there's a Fuling formula, Fuling, uh, Lingwei Jiu, uh, Lingwei Tang, where you cook the, cook the fooling by itself um, first in, you know, worked water. And we just kind of experimented with all of those formulas, just doing it the original way. And just the efficacy just, you know, just increases so dramatically. So, <clears throat> you know, this is, think, this is so important sorry, to ahead. have this. It's so important to have this discussion because, you know, so, so often, and this is a real bugbear of mine, you know, so often you hear, people talking or, you know, you see discussions on some of the online forums where, you know, practitioners will say, oh, that person has an infection, you know, it's a bacterial infection, they really need antibiotics or, you know, that person, you know, this is really serious, they really need to go and see their doctor. And and it really, um, you know, if you're not using the right dosage, you know, as you say, the difference between using Xia Chai Hitang in the dosage that it was intended to be used in versus using the three Liang dose, you know, you could be, it could be the difference between someone actually getting better and being essentially cured from their condition versus, you know, needing to be on the same formula for a year or 18 months and any time they go off it, they get worse again. It kind of just holds it at bay. And, you know, like we, I think in a lot of cases, we're doing ourselves a disservice by not practicing our medicine in the way that it's meant to be practiced. Dosage is huge. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, you know, when it comes to something like, um, you know, antibiotic resistant staph infections, and this is the other thing, if we're not, we're not trialing this in clinic, we, we, we don't really see the potential, um, uh, the scope of our medicine, you know, something like, um, um, uh, you know, when, when you've got antibiotic resistant staph infections and you're using something like a Xie tongue. Um, you know, using Huang Qin and Huang Lian at those really high doses, <clears throat> and it's super, super effective. Um, one of the coolest formulas I reckon in the whole Shanghan Lun is uh, is um, uh, Gansao Tang. I, I just love it. It is the best formula. Um, so, and it's just you know these basic things that we think are so simple and they're just overlooked. I mean, Li Jong is another example, but I think my my favorite is. Um, is uh is is gansao done because it's just hilarious like it's just gansao it's just sheng gansao it's just two liang so 30 grams of gansao and you put you know you put um with three sheng so it's 600 mils and you boil it down to half down to one and a half sheng 300 mils you remove the dregs and you take it twice a day now this formula i can't overstate how awesome this is for croup so you take this for the three days. So croup usually, you know, is for is like a three day thing. Um, so the second you hear those kids have that little croupy cough, you give them gun sao tongue, and 
give them that gun sound and uh, oh, leave it outside. Um, the you give them gun sound tongue and it just it, it just reduces overnight and then you know you follow up the second day and the third day and uh, it, it just I've never seen anything more effective. Um, and I've recommended that um, to, to various people over the years and um, you know, I've used it very effectively in clinic many, many times. Well, my own, my own children as well. Um, you know, and everyone sort of says, oh, we're just, I'm not gonna add this, I'm gonna do gun sale, but I'm gonna add this or I'm gonna do it with this formula, do it with that formula. And it's like, we're missing this opportunity because like, that's what gun sale is for. So, ooh, why aren't we using it? And I'm not surprised it's not effective at six grams. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work at six grams. Mm. It wouldn't. It'd be dirty. Um, so, you know, little examples like that, we really can learn a great deal about the potential of, of canonical, uh, you know, these canonical formulas. That really so, is such a great genius tip. And I'm, you know, I'm guessing your app is going to be filled with really practical, applicable information for each formulas. So, um, yeah, but we have there the formula and the formula ratios and the duration. Yes, yes. So not, none of the decoctions really have a, you know, one of the big, one of the questions we're always asking ourselves is like, you know, how long is a decoction supposed to be given for? Um, and often the answer is once, um, you know, that, that would be my initial answer. Um, uh, but the other answer, which I think is more correct is, is um, until the condition resolves. So, I, I, this is obviously a hypothesis. I think what Zhang Jing does when he does a decoction, he's basically saying, you know, just until the condition resolves, like that example of gun tongue, because we know the cycles of proof, it's very effective. It's, you know, just keep giving it until it goes away. Typically the second day, it's, they're not really showing any signs, but this, the, the life cycle of proof is, is, is three days. So, um, you know, Xiao Chai Hutang, um, yeah, who knows? So until, yeah, that's kind of where it came to that conclusion, like until the condition resolves. Um, and then that's based that on that, your diagnostics. Yeah, and I imagine that that uh, really high dose Xiao Chai Hutang, was that 120 grams of Chai Hu in there? I imagine that that is the perfect thing that someone needs when, um, you know, the very start of those serious viruses like your dengue fever or Lyme yeah. disease, you know. Yep. How yeah, much absolutely. does it cost for the patient? Is that like a yeah, yeah? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Like, would you rather a, would you rather a patient uh, pay for really low doses for six months or one dose? Mm -hmm. Really, you know, I know I, how I would feel if I was feeling unwell, and when I am unwell, I just want to get better, and um, I don't want to be kind of, you know, I don't, and as well, I don't want my patients coming back saying, yeah, yeah, kind of worked. I'm like, there's no doubt about it. When you give these medicine, it does exactly what you want it to do. It's, it's, it's very, very good, except the problem is people don't know how to diagnose the formulas. Now this is, and I wonder, you know, if over time, one of the reasons that, um, that these formulas got less and less, there's many reasons why it slowly became clinical practice to have less and less and less in the formulas. There's ideas that, you know, there's some people who say, you know, there is no argument that, that originally it was 15.65 grams. No one's arguing that. I'm just saying that nowadays people's bodies are different. The environment's different. Um, the herbs are different. Um, you know, was it wildcrafted? There's all these other ideas. 
and and they're all really really interesting ideas and i think we need to explore those ideas as well um so you know the way that you can apply it in clinic is based on those variations and that's what a good clinician does they assess that individual patient and figure out look this patient right now they're in the acute stage they need this dose you know that's what a doctor does they <laughs> this is what our medicine has the option the ability to do but then it comes back to ratio so we do just in in, in our clinic we kind of have this thing we call it you know at three grams or at three at five at ten at fifteen or at hundos right which is just the way that we talk about it and so we might often start with a hundos get on top of the condition and then decrease the dose so we do it by 10 so when when we just call it by 10 or at 10 which is means that you know if, if there's if there's two herbs at three liang and one herb at two liang we might give them 30 30 and 20 just for ease in clinic but the ratios are correct and so we that's what we build the app for to allow people to just look quickly search the formula and see the various doses um, and then and then do that so that's yeah and then uh, then based on you know where the the progression of the condition you can adjust uh, you can adjust according to the to the to the patient but like i mentioned earlier it comes back to diagnostics so you know and that comes back to the original point we were making which was about having a good teacher <laughs> because you know the, the, this is what i mean to get on my soapbox but you know with the with the institutional training it's based on diagnosis as being this kind of fundamental thing but the, the diagnosis is based on tcm diagnosis but none of these formulas are tcm formulas so what are you doing do you know what i mean like however i'm not saying that i would have any other solution to teach chinese medicine to a, a massive population of people um, i think it's quite a clever way to teach to a, to a to a massive population of people however when you get more experience when you get into clinic you know, you have to figure out those diagnostics and you have to apply those diagnostics that the person, the author of those formulas would have prescribed them. Sort of makes sense, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, that really lends itself as well to the, the type of mentor relationship that we were discussing at the beginning. Like we've come Precise. full circle back to the importance of that because you can Precise. only learn so much in four years and yet, you know, we all know 10 years in, 15, 20 years in, you're still learning really exciting stuff that can really change what's happening in your clinic in terms of efficacy. Absolutely. I think, you know, we, we spend so much time um, on, on, um, on diagnosis, which is absolutely vital because that's the first thing you need to know. But then there's this kind of big chain of events that comes afterwards and any one of these any one of these steps if they're compromised they're going to compromise the outcome so from my point of view it's it's you know it's having this correct diagnostics that's absolutely paramount without that you're not doing anything the second thing is the correct herb so herb identification and quality is the next most important thing then the dose of those herbs is the next important thing and then administration of those of those formulas and then your clinical analysis which links back to your diagnostics in the, in the first place so i think that that sort of that um those those steps are really really important and as i said any problem with any of those steps you're going to have you're going to you're going to be very confused you know if your diagnostics are, are out in any way um, and you're not trained in diagnosis or you don't know how to build a pulse um, or 
um, you know, which is fundamental to all these formulas, then you're really not going to be able to do it properly. Um, if you're using the wrong herb, as we mentioned with um, so many herbs, um, they're completely the wrong herbs that were used in the original formulas. And Chai is an awesome example of that. Um, the dosage is incorrect. So as the example I gave before with the Wenjing tongue, uh, you're going to get, you're going to get some adverse reactions because that's not how the formula was constructed. The administration, so you're not giving it the correct way, you're not giving it as a wan or a san or a tongue, you're not going to get the same, the, the same application. And then, and then, if you, then, you, then how can you have a clinical, how can you have an analysis of, of what you're doing? You know, how can you analyze where you've gone wrong, when you go wrong, or when you don't get the right outcome? or when you do get the right outcome. And obviously this is a huge issue and there's so many variations that can go wrong. However, that's what we should be striving for without getting too self-righteous. And <laughs> well, and you know, it's so great that we've got someone like yourself who's, you know, you're out there and you're asking these questions and you're, you're taking steps to change your clinical practice and you're seeing the benefits and you're sharing that information that's so important because otherwise, you know, we're all just kind of hanging out behind our own clinic doors and just kind of doing mm -hmm. what we do and, you know, there's not many of us who ask these types of questions and I think it's so fantastic that you're doing it and I love that we get to interview you about it because it's really inspiring and, you know, definitely you've been a really positive influence on the way that I practice in clinic. So thank you for all that you do for us. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I was very, to be honest, uh, you know, I was very nervous about doing this because, um, you know, this, this idea, clinical application of these old ratios and, and doses, uh, you know, might not be taken very well. Um, and I, I welcome, you know, the academic debate. And I, I think, you know, I, I I, and I don't, at the same time, I think it's like I mentioned earlier, it's really, really important that people understand that I'm, I'm not out there to say that, um, you know, that their practice hasn't been working. It sounds to me like a lot of what you're uncovering has to do with enhancing efficacy and speeding up efficacy, you know, so that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not getting results, just that, you know, if you give the big Shao Chai Hu Tang, you might only have to give it once. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Mm. Um, I mean, that's really amazing to know and that's really, I mean, this could be a really important development in the whole um, profession in terms of how seriously we're taken by the public and how well accepted we are as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, we, we need to consider all these other aspects for sure, like, you know, uh, the, the quality and the herb ID, you know, and, and the administration. Um, you know, they're, they're, each one of those those aspects are just you know really really need to be considered um, to the full extent to to make our medicine as good as it possibly can be. That's why we started working with um, with Andy Ellis from Springwind because I was just making all these herbs, making all these formulas, and just seeing you know the quality. The more we can support this um, this amazing work, then you know the the, the healthier our patients are going to be. Well, Simon, we've had your words of wisdom that you've been sharing with us for nearly an hour and a half now and I hope our listeners have had a wonderful time listening to you know the whole context around your journey and how you've come to you know discover all this information and how useful you find it to be in clinic and you know I was very keen to get you on to 
you know, to tell the story about the young measurement, which is a really cool story, and, you know, to go deeper into this topic. And, yeah, so thank you very much for spending so much time with us today and for being so generous with your wisdom. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great opportunity. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the show. Rochelle, we'll have you back on again in the future. And we did mention to our listeners, we've had Simon on previously. So we've got uh, episode 13 and episode 14 with Simon as well that you can look up. And if there's any burning questions, you can ask Simon. Uh, you can tag him on our Heavenly Chief Facebook page when we uh, put the episode up. You may even be able to request um, some future topics that we can have Simon on for because I know a lot of you are very big fans of what Simon's doing. So we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page. That's right. And I am waiting and looking forward to the app and the book. So, yeah, it makes it. for now.